when you had asked me if I want to do yours, I was actually really excited about it. It's been a long time coming. The tide is turning. We tired of running. We rising up. It's been a long time coming. They proud is hurting. Shake off that burden and that dirt in. Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host. I am the founder of Raj Nation Innovation. I am a hip hop artist. I am a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen, aka VC Money. Victoria is the voice behind Almonds and Asana. She is a yoga instructor, a blogger, a health, wellness, and fitness enthusiast. Above all else, she is an activist. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, startup founders, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. This is real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. In this episode, we sit down with Jarek Hamilton. Jarek is co-founder and CEO of on-demand photography service, QuickFix. With Jarek, we have a conversation near and dear to his heart, given his history, which you'll learn more about in just a moment. And the topic is, how do you silence your critics? Now, before we dive into that conversation, I want to extend an invitation to you if you are not a member already, join our tribe by going to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com, enter your email address there on the homepage, you will never miss another episode of this show, an email in your inbox every single Monday letting you know when a new episode is out, so you can stay up to date with the awesome in our lives, and therefore stay up to date with the awesome in your life. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Jarek Hamilton of Quick Picks. How do you silence your critics? Let's listen in. I think being able being able to look at you know how we silence our critics is it's important to me because I've faced a lot of that um, while trying to build you know my companies and current company I, I started now. So I faced a lot of you know laughter and kind of getting poked at like haha kid, great idea, you know um, we'll we'll do this or something like that. I, I faced a lot of that you know throughout my entire life. Um, even as far back as, you know, being six, seven years old and selling magazines door to door, um, a lot of people, you know, laugh at that type of stuff. And it's important to me because in today's society with all the technology that we have available, it's so much easier to get yourself out there and really push forward and, and try and do what you love in life. And I think that there's still a lot of people out there that don't understand that they have the ability nowadays more than ever to accomplish the goals that they, that they want to achieve. So can you go into some of uh, some of like the specifics around how you said people are like, haha, kid, great idea. Um, any like specific story that comes to mind? Yeah. So I think the, the most specific story that comes to mind is when I was uh, when I was 17, I was still in high school. I started a business where I, I basically refurbished ink and toner cartridges and uh, sold them to major manufacturing companies here in the United States. And I, I started it when I was 17. Um, and I, I had tremendous traction. I had about five multi-million dollar manufacturing companies in and around the area I lived, which was Streeter, Illinois. 
And um, they loved the fact that I could save them, you know, tons of money on on their toner cartridges that they that they just blow through. And I was purchasing them from overseas, empty, and then refilling them here. And I was selling them at like I, I was selling them for three hundred dollars. I only had you know maybe twenty bucks into the thing or twenty five dollars into the thing. And the the particular story of when I first realized like wow this is this is going to be hard was when I I went to a bank. And I had revenue. We had, uh, you know, we had profit. We were doing good. And up until that point, I was working out of a little room in my house. And I had went to the bank because I wanted to get. I think it was like, I think it was a small business loan. It was like thirty grand. And um, I even had a co-signer. And I, I had met with a couple of the banks, but I, uh, I really got laughed at pretty seriously by some of these people. I mean, like right to my face. And they're like, "Yeah, that ain't gonna work." And I'm like, "You know, what do you mean it's not gonna work?" Like, uh, you know, we're making money, you know, hand over fist here, but I wasn't making enough, you know, it was good money for being like 17 and trying to build this. And I had some support from the city, but I was, I got no support in any other, in any other ways. And, um, it was really, it was really upsetting to me. And I think I let it get to me and, um, I wound up closing the business down. I wound up stopping because I just felt like I, I had nowhere else to go. And it was at a time, you know, before we had like YouTube was really huge and we had all of these different outlets to seek advice from and knowledge from. And I let that get to me. And I wish I wouldn't have because the model that I had was really great. And um, I see businesses nowadays that are, are super successful in that area based off the exact same model that I had before I had noticed anybody else doing that. So I, I let that get to me a lot. And, you know, that's kind of why silencing your critics is really important to me because I let that get to me enough and I stop my business because of it. So I hope to, you know, help other people with that and understand that you don't have to let that happen. How, how did, um, I mean, cause that, that's pretty significant, right? That to the point where you're like, oh, okay, I guess I don't have a business here. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Um, it made me feel like I, I had almost failed when I didn't really fail. I was learning. Um, I was learning about trying how to build a business and I was only 17 and I was in a community that there was no fostering of entrepreneurship. It was still, you know, you think nowadays, you know, being an entrepreneur is really great, but even 10, 12 years ago, I mean, it was not a great thing to be an entrepreneur. It was basically like saying, I'm just going to try and figure out life. And, um, it made me feel like I had failed, but in, in reality, I hadn't even gotten started. I was learning and, um, they made me feel like I wanted to quit. Yeah. The, and I would say even still entrepreneurship is, is, is a, is a battle of trying to figure out life, but there's obviously oh, a course. lot more education around it. I mean, even in, even in the Chicago area, like startups weren't a thing until like I graduated college in 2011 mm -hmm. and I remember, I think like that was the year, like right after graduation, I remember hearing about 1871 or maybe it hadn't even opened yet, but I remember there was like a startup weekend, excuse me, startup weekend competition at a place called Tech Nexus, and I participated in that. And that was like the first, but prior to that, I don't remember hearing anything about startups. And even in a major metropolitan area like Chicago, it, it only recently has become a thing um, that like, this is a type of way to live. There are companies that can be born. And a lot of it, I think, is due to the fact that there's just been a lot of technological advances in the last decade that have enabled you know, more businesses to start. Of course. Consequential, consequentially, more businesses are able to fail now, too. Yes. But, but giving more people a chance. Because, you know, like, like you said, like 10, 12 years ago, 
I mean, like what YouTube, I remember like became a thing around 2006, I think. Yeah. But it was just this like thing I had heard about. And I remember someone in high school, one of my friends talking about how like, you know, like he worked at like a shoe store during summer, but like when there weren't customers in, he's like, oh, we'll just go behind the computer and watch all these YouTube videos. And I was like, what is YouTube? <laughs> and, it yeah. was, and it was largely, even at that point, it was largely <laughs> just people like taking their camera in their backyard and like running into a wall and, you know. Yeah, you know, doing stupid stuff. Yeah, doing stupid so stuff. I have a question <coughs> on the question, <laughs> just yeah. to even clarify, yeah. actually. So are we saying how do you silence your critics in like how do you get people to stop being critical or how do you silence it in your own head? Because I'm thinking it's, how do you like not inter- how do you take it seriously not personally? I think it's right? both. both. Jarek, you tell me how you think of that question. Uh, you know what? That's actually a great question. I did not think about the the two sides that aspect. So I think uh, silencing your critics in your own head is about understanding where you're at and where you want to go, and understanding you know that understanding how you can move forward and just figuring out those ways because nowadays there's a you know a plethora of different ways that you can move forward um i think silencing them you know like silencing your critics you know uh, like the individuals that are telling you that not in, not in your head but used but by by your business is uh by by pushing forward and proving them wrong and i think that's really one of the big i think that's really the biggest way that you can silence your critics is really by proving them wrong and pushing forward um I mean, now you got to look at the people that you're talking to too. So I've gotten, you know, I've gotten very, uh, very critical feedback on, you know, even my business model and my company, you know, that I started a year ago and, um, I didn't let that stop me. What I did is I, I took that information and I, I thought about it very hard and very heavily. And then I, I adapted and I moved forward. Um, so yeah, there's really two ways of looking at that. Definitely two ways of looking at that. Yeah. Well, when and- I think about it, it's, um, the external voices can become internalized if you mm-hmm. hear enough of them and you hear them, if you hear enough quantity of them and you hear it enough times. Mm-hmm. And I know that's happened to me a lot over the years where you, you start to confuse your own voice with the voices of other people. Yeah, you become a serious critic of yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then, in, you know, and, the, and this, uh, it's funny cause like the first episode of this podcast ever two years ago, two and a half years ago with Matt Wilson, this came up as a topic of like, what are the voices in your head? And is that really you saying that? Or is that your mom saying that? Or is that like your neighbor who you talk to this about saying that? And again, it becomes very hard to distinguish with what's your voice versus the voices of others. Um, Particularly if there's not a balance of positive reinforcement or helpful reinforcement more than that. Definitely. I, I like, I think I'm my, I think I'm my biggest critic. I think when I, when I, when I think about, you know, who is a person that, you know, criticizes, criticizes me or my company or my business or anything the most, it's myself. And, um, th- that works for me. And I don't know if that works for other people. I, I kind of adapted that role and just started thinking about, you know, what I'm going to hear from other people. And, and, uh, I put that pressure on myself and it helps propel me forward. Honestly, it helps me lean on the individuals around me and the resources around me, you know, way more than I ever used to. And, um, 
you need that in entrepreneurship. You need people around you. You need individuals to help you. I mean, Raj, when we when we were at Bunker Labs, you know, I mean, I had several conversations with you as well as I know many other people did, and they leaned on you for that expertise, and and they could have done that because they had heard something from somebody else. Or I know some of the times when I lean on other people, it's because of what I what I put on myself to think outside the box, and you know, I put some of them pressures on myself. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I just, I you know, I mean. I think you you feel this and you get this on a daily basis, but you don't think about this question, like really think about it a lot. It's kind of a trippy when you do. But um, I think <laughs> that I'm the same way. Like I, I'm definitely my own biggest critic and I think I end up like almost projecting, like making someone else's critique up of myself and then like take putting that on myself, you know? But it's interesting because it's so good to get feedback and it's so necessary. I think I'm not great at taking it and not taking it personally. And yeah, it's just interesting. But yet at the same time, like, I think I might also be my biggest critic. I don't know. So I'm not sure how I internalize (laughs) that. It's weird. I think everybody has their own different ways of internalizing it. Totally. The way I look at it is I hear both of you say, I am my own biggest critic. I think it's important actually to, to make a key uh, differentiator or, or distinguishing fact here is that, or distinguishing statement rather, is that you're both saying you're your own biggest critic. I really think what you mean to say is you're your own biggest critiquer mm. because there's a, there's a difference between critique and criticism. Okay. Um, it's funny. Actually, this was a line in a song I made a few years ago. <laughs> I, I rapped, there's a difference between critique and critique. Cri- there's a difference between critique and criticism. Critiquing has a reason. The other means that you never listened. And, and that's, you know, that's the rhyme way to say it, to explain that further, is the fact that if you were your own biggest critic, you would not be criticizing, your, you would not be analyzing yourself with the intent of improving. You would be analyzing yourself with the intent of shutting yourself down. If you're your own biggest critique, or I don't think you can be your own biggest critique, but your own biggest critiquer, you're analyzing yourself with the intent of improving and getting better and learning, right? Critique is to learn. Criticism is to destroy, I believe. That makes sense. I think you nailed that, Raj. (laughs) I think we were saying saying that sentence wrong. That makes a little bit more sense when you you pose it like that. And and this is where it starts to get difficult because, um, again, if you have too many voices of criticism in front of you, you can actually start to criticize yourself and say, oh, I'm not worth it. I shouldn't be doing this. Who am I to be doing this? All that kind of stuff. Like, I think that imposter syndrome is something all of us have gone through at some point, if not still today, at some point before. Um, but when you you have to pull in those people, like you were saying, Jarek, like, you know, the Bunker Labs crew, when you're able to pull people in to have a conversation with them, and their only interest is in how do I just make sure this person is thinking about these things um, so that they can be best prepared for you know what might lie ahead. Those are the types of conversations. It's not even necessarily like, how do I give this person advice? Because we've all gotten unsolicited advice before and it is annoying. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, it's having the conversation with people who know, and this is an important, this is really important to Make sure you talk to the right people who have their own wits about them. They know their goal or they're in, what they're not trying to do is make sure that they have to give you advice and see that you take their advice. It's 
their goal is how can I just let this person know what exists so that they can be best informed to decide on their own. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that definitely sounds like, uh, how bunker labs is. And, you know, we, we all have those individuals around us and, you know, we just gotta, we gotta make sure that we're talking to the right people. Like you had said, you know, and make sure they do have their wits about them and, uh, you know, bump into people that, that don't or don't necessarily understand what you're doing and it could be hard, but, um, yeah, it's definitely surrounding yourself with the right people as well. With quick picks. So you talked about the bank with the previous business, the ink and toner business with quick picks. What are some of the things people have said? Um, you know, in the beginning, uh, we had, a uh, we had quite a few people that, you know, it told us that we're not going to attract the photographers, that it's going to be hard. It's going to be, you know, they're not going to like it, which a lot of them don't. I got yelled at yesterday a couple times. Um, but that was one of the biggest things is that we're not going to be able to draw on the photographers because part of what we had done is, um, you know, change the way that the photographers handle their work and, and things like that. And it's actually been, uh, it's actually been easier to get the photographers on board um, than it, than it has almost getting customers to the platform. And I think that's because we really nailed what the problems were in this industry. And the photographers know that we understand what those pain points are for them and that we're working as hard as we can to fix them. And um, so that was one of the biggest things that I had heard in the beginning. And um, they, it was a little bit distracting at first, you know, because we hadn't brought any photographers to the platform in the beginning. It was, you know, a WordPress landing page with a PayPal button. So it was, you know, okay, well, we got people signing up, but we don't have other photographers actually using the system, you know, vetting the system, uh, telling us the pain points and the good things about it. And now that we have that, um, it's, it's getting a lot better. With the, some of these roadblocks that you mentioned with getting photographers onto quick fix and also having heard people say like, Hey, you're not going to get photographers. Did you fall into any sort of like downward emotional spiral that kind of just became its own self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, people said we're not going to get photographers. We're not getting photographers. We can't get photographers. People said we're not going to get photographers. We're not getting yeah. You know, like did, did that come into play? Uh, I think for, for maybe a short period, yeah, it did. Um, and, and then we really got uh, creative with how we were trying to get photographers and get their opinions was big, was primarily the biggest thing. You know, what do you think about a platform like this? What would be the benefits? And then really trying to get as many of their opinions as possible is when we started actually getting photographers on board and signing up and, and uh, becoming part of the platform. I think there was a little time there though. Yeah. Where I was a little bit, you know, um, down and, you know, trying, I, I let it get in my head a little bit, but, um, it's about moving past it and talking to the, the right individuals. And, and I had a lot of help in that area and a lot of suggestions. Um, I mean, even, you know, before we were talking about how we got the photographers in Chicago so quickly, um, the idea of using the thumbtack and, and doing that stuff wasn't even mine. It was, uh, Eddie's and mm -hmm. he gave it to me in new Orleans. And um, he was like, man, you should try thumbtack. And I was like, uh, never used thumbtack. You know, what, what's the, what's the value there? How, you know, what do you, what do you use it for? And it was just a platform I hadn't used. He explained it to me. And then um, we got in that, you know, kind of like pinch position where we had shoots coming in. And I used Eddie's advice and it worked tremendously. And then building on Eddie's advice, we started thinking of other ways. Okay, well, we use this. Now what else can we use to grow organically? And we reached out through some of them other platforms and it just kind of took off from there. What? So there's a concept I was gnawing on earlier today. And so, you know, you can look at criticism, rejection, you can look at all of that in the same bucket. 
um, risk, right? Because, mm-hmm. because the, the reality is you don't get criticism unless you're doing something that's interesting, you know? Uh, no one badmouths the person who's not a YouTube sensation, right? <laughs> like only once you've done something that's interesting where people are either saying to themselves, oh, that could have been me, or who do they think they are to be doing this? Is it, do do you get people who say who start to you know badmouth you? Um, but all that said, what I was the concept I was gnawing on earlier today was this idea that you know like entrepreneurship, creativity, whatever you want to call it, like doing something that's different or doing something that's interesting. What it builds up is your so like you know we've heard of the, we've all heard of the concept of like risk tolerance and a risk profile. Mm-hmm. I actually think what it's doing on the back end is building your resilience profile. Because like you looked at like, like Jarek, you had that experience with the last business, right? And it, it did shut you down to the point where you actually shut down the business. But that was like, you know, like you said, it was like a lesson learned. Mm-hmm. And then you get a little bit more resilient the next time. And then, with the, you know, whether it's just like a small step forward with something or then like not, then you start quick picks and you get people being like, this isn't going to work. Well, you know, 10 years prior, you might have said, shit, maybe it's not going to work. I don't need to do this. Uh, I, I can choose to not make life harder on myself. Uh, okay, I'll, I won't do this. But your resilience profile gets built up from having those previous experiences and those previous rejections. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, so the the business that we were just talking about when I was 17, um, that was the first business I had started. I started another business right out of the Navy when I got medically uh, discharged from the Navy, um, my wife and I started an e-commerce business in Florida and I had a business partner and he made some bad decisions. And unfortunately it left me, my wife who was pregnant at the time and our two children almost homeless. Like we were in food pantry lines and, um, like that was a breaking point. That was like the worst point in my life, you know, like the lowest of the low you could feel, um, after I had sank what we, whatever we had into that business. And, um, I told my wife at one point, I'm like, ah, for, I'm done. Like I'm done. I'm not, I'm never putting our family in that position again. But, um, what it did is it made me think a lot harder. Um, I guess I, I'm just a, an entrepreneur and it's when you are an entrepreneur, it's not anything you can turn off. It's not like a switch that's on and off. I mean, that's just how you're built and how you're wired. Um, so when the idea of quick picks came up, we worked a lot more together, um, the both of us on what we were going to do and, and how we were going to go about things. And I told her at one point, not only do I never want to like start a business and like, I'll never work with anybody again. Like even if I did start a business, I, I never have a partner or anything like that. I got more partners now than I can, yeah, than I've ever had in my life. Than, than fingers and toes. <laughs> yeah, literally. I, I got like six different partners or I all working with us. Um, uh, I think that's going to be that great. I think we have like four, but, um, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I trust these guys with everything. I literally put my, you know, put my, my, all my trust in these guys and they put all their trust in me. And, um, I didn't have that before in my other partnership and I realize that now. So it definitely builds that resilience. I absolutely agree with you. And I think it builds probably to, you know, your resilience, but also your capacity to take those critics and what they say and, like process them the right way and know which ones are like value add and which ones to like incorporate into what you're doing and which ones to be like, all right, great. 
Thanks. Yeah. Like Thank we, you. We'll yeah, like on. we, okay, so like Raj, Raj and I did yoga teacher training together and like a big part of it is getting feedback. Like each time you teach, you know, during, during the program and, and even after during like we did this apprentice program, you got feedback and sometimes um, it was, you know, it was stuff that you agreed with. Other times you might hear it and be like, no, that's not true at all. And whether you're right or wrong, like what we talked a lot about in training is just to be like, okay, thank you. Like not to say anything back really, not to like try to defend yourself, but just take it. If you like it, use it. If you don't, don't. And probably the more and more that you get that, this sort of like resilience that we're talking about, you have a better judgment on what like valuable critics can add or, you know, what you don't need to take from it. Definitely. Um, yeah, you actually just made me think of about a scenario, um, just a year ago when we were at collision as an, as an alpha attendee, um, my wife, me and, um, four of our other, um, people that were working with us, we all went to collision, which is one of the largest tech conferences in, you know, the country and in the world. And we had went down there, excuse me, and um, we had our booth, we're set up, we'd been talking to investors, everything was going great until this photographer came up to us and he had like the, you know, the $9,000 camera around him and he, he came up to us and he was like, oh, what's this? And we kindly explained it to him what our concept was. We were still in market research phase. The product wasn't even launched or anything like that. And um, I was standing there and he went to town on me in front of investors. I mean, in front of people standing around us in the middle of this conference, he started screaming at me. What did he say? He was yelling at me like, you're, you guys don't understand the photography industry. This is never going to work. Photographers are going to hate it. And how do you think that we're going to be? And at that point we were set, we had, we, we incrementally changed our price points to make sure that we were fitting the value proposition for the photographers and for the customers and for the company. Right. So at that point, we were only charging like $60 an hour. Um, And we knew that that wasn't a fair value proposition. And we knew that we were going to change it, but we had to test it. And this guy just went to town like, you're never going to get us money. You're never going to get us, you know, business. You're, you're You're the Uber of photography. You're trying to kill the industry. You're just trying to take it over. And he's yelling at us. And before I realized that there were like four investors standing there, they have like these red badges on. So you know exactly who they are. There were like four investors there. There was like 20 people around us and I'm getting screamed at by this photographer. And admittedly, I didn't handle it the right way. I immediately went on the defensive. I immediately tried protecting my team. I immediately tried protecting what I believed in. And, um, I, 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 I mean, I'd have to admit now looking at it, I didn't handle that conversation the right way. Um, I, I, I heard his feedback, but in my mind, while he was talking, I was already preparing a defense for myself and our business. And um, so my point is, is you know, I, I looked at that. I realized I didn't handle that the right way. And getting to um, getting to the point of you know saying, okay, thank you for that, instead of trying to defend yourself. I had a photographer reach out to me yesterday. And he called me on my cell phone because I, I gladly give out my number to anybody to tell him if they want to talk to me, they can, because I understand it is a disruptive business model and people do have questions and we want them to know we care. So my phone number is out there and this guy called me and he was pissed and he was a photographer and he had me on the phone for 45 minutes yesterday telling me about the industry and this and everything that he could. And I listened and I didn't really try to defend us. 
I told him I appreciated all of his feedback and which I, I genuinely do appreciate the feedback. And there were even a couple things that throughout that conversation he had said that were actually really good. And it kind of got my gears turning. Um, but not going on that defensive mode, if I would have went on that defensive mode, I wouldn't have really heard what he was saying. I would have just been trying to prepare my defense and argue with him. Um, so that completely shifted for me over the past year. I, I actually take a lot more time to listen to what they have to say. And, um, I do the, you know, the thank you and I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I pick and choose what I, what I feel is best for us. And I even present that to the other people we work with and see how they feel about it. The listening aspect of this, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys both brought that up because that's such an important piece. And, and I know I'll, I'll tell you this, doing this podcast for two years has made me such a better listener because I used to be someone who would only listen to the extent to which I knew I would get to talk again. And halfway through someone talking, like you said, Jared, whether it was good or bad, I would just start thinking about, all right, what do I want to say next? And then, you know, doing this show for two years at some point, I don't know when I started to realize I'm actually listening all the way through to what they have to say and then formulating my next statement as a response, not just as a, I thought of this, so I'm going to say it regardless. It's almost like um, I've never taken improv classes, but this is the philosophy. It's like you listen to what they – like you don't go into improv with a script. You mm -hmm. listen to what they said and your, your only job is to add value to what they just said. And in order to do that, you have to listen entirely. You can't – you know, they can't be talking – it's like – have you seen that episode of The Office where Michael Scott – has like his like James Bond character or whatever in his improv class. And like, no matter what everyone else is doing in the scene, he comes in as like this secret agent to start shooting everyone. <laughs> and, and like, they all hate him for it because it just ruins the, it ruins the entire scene. But that's, that's kind of, I mean, that's the exaggerated comedic example, but that is how we need to start thinking about listening to other people and having these interactions is what are they saying? First, what are they saying? What do they mean? And what am I going to do in response to that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, makes a lot of sense. The, and, I, and I loved too, the, like, Victoria, you brought up the yoga example. Like, that was one of the best things I, that we did in that, in that training was when we were told, all you have to do with feedback is say thank you and move on. Yeah. And I wish I took that a little bit more into my personal life. My husband has literally told me on multiple occasions, you are not coachable, which like, <laughs> is so funny. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. But like, which is like so funny because, um, like he's my boss. Or something. <laughs> but I assume he must say that to his employees. No. Um, but like, I get it. It's true. Like, and, and it's something that I'm working on for sure. Like taking feedback, criticism, critiques, however you want to call it. There's obviously so, so many different paths I can go down and saying thank you and just doing with it what you please. This too shall pass. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's pause for a hot minute for this quick PSA. Are you part of the startup community? If so, keep listening. If not, go ahead and hit the skip ahead button because this is not going to apply to you. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is a property of Raj Nation Innovation. What is Raj Nation Innovation? Well, it's simple. I talk to founders and startup teams every day who flat out tell me, hey, we suck at telling our story. I help remove the suck. Combining a unique background of both branding expertise as well as songwriting expertise from my experience as a hip-hop artist, 
I take a performance lens and mindset to the world of business communication. Using this approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their story, their go-to-market message, and their pitch so they can raise venture capital and acquire their early customers. Think of me like the Will Smith character Hitch, but for startups. And yes, I will tell you when you're dancing like an idiot. Does this sound like a conversation we should have? If so, head to www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation Innovation.com. Send me a message through there and let's chat. Back now to the podcast. Uh, how do you think, Jarek? Um, so we talked about the idea of like building up a, a resilience profile from enough criticism, rejection, et cetera. Um, you know, you talked about how you're moving, you're able to kind of deal with things a little bit better now, or I would say probably drastically better now. Um, <clears throat> do you find you're, you're able to almost like anticipate adverse situations now, or is it, it's happening and then you're saying, okay, how, like, what do I need to do as a result of this? Um, it depends. I, you know, in some situations, like with photographers, you know, within the first sentence or two, I can kind of understand whether or not they're going to be, you know, a, a you know, a, a big, uh, a big critic of what we're doing. Um, other individuals, uh, not so much. Um, with the photographers, I'm getting better at it just because we're having more and more conversations with them. And with those, so so that's on that's on the external side. Now then, on the internal side. Mm-hmm. Do you find your with with your own voice? Do you find you're better able to anticipate when you're being too hard on yourself versus when it's helpful motivation? Because, like we said before, you're your own biggest critic slash critiquer. Mm-hmm. Um, are you able to like tell? Hey, I am. I know I'm being hard on myself, but it's motivating. Versus, I need to give myself a break. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, not really. Uh, I mean, in a sense, yeah, I, I, I can, I understand when I'm getting, getting too hard on myself in a sense, but, um, uh, to be honest with you, a lot of times it's like when my wife starts like getting on me about, you know, like, Hey, you need to get this done. Then I'm like, okay, all right. I'm not just being too hard on myself. Somebody else sees it too. Um, so I, I kind of use her for that, that balance. Cause sometimes I am too hard on myself and I just don't realize it. And you know, I'll, I'll ask her, you know, what she thinks about it. And, uh, she's very honest with me, you know, we're, we're best friends. So it's, it's good to have her there and she helps me out a lot with that type of stuff. Or if I'm, if I'm being too soft on myself, she's definitely there to let me know that too. So <laughs> I, I, I reflect that off of her a lot more because sometimes I don't understand when I'm being too hard on myself and I'm like, you know, no, you need to go to work. You need to get this done. You need to get this done. But there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so much you can do. So I use her to kind of balance that out a little bit. And you do work like a dog. Like some of the emails that I get, I'm like, man, why is he still up? <laughs> like, how on <laughs> earth did he respond to that within a minute? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, if you think I work hard, you should see some of these tech guys, man. They're in here until 3 o'clock in the morning and then back up and back in in the morning. Oh, my God. Uh, these, these guys are putting in some serious work. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you got to be available all the time, I guess. Yeah. I think we're called um, the always on generation, right? right? Definitely. Um, intercom <laughs> doesn't. Um, amongst, amongst other things. Yeah, amongst <laughs> other things. Yeah, we got a we got a new help desk solution on our on our platform. I guess it's not new, um, but we're we're using intercom. And now that we've implemented that, and we're starting to get people asking questions all the time, 
I, I feel myself being on more. Like if I hear my phone ping, I'm at it even more because I know that that's probably a customer or a potential customer or a photographer asking a question. So I want to be like at the ready for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit on more now that the app is launched and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Victoria, I'm curious to know from, so you just launched your blog and your Instagram account. You're starting to like put a lot of content on there. Um, have you had anyone tell you like, like what, like what are you doing? Yeah, no, not yet. I don't think I'm like big. It's mostly family and friends who follow me. They're really nice and supportive. No, I haven't gotten to that point, but I, I, I'm nervous about it. I am. Yeah. You know, especially when you're starting to put like yourself out there and personal things out there, and it is a little scary. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I, ha I haven't really yet. But for sure, it'll come. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's so interesting because, and I, you know, I mentioned it before, but it's only the point at which you're doing something that's interesting do people feel a need to speak up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a casualty of it, right? That, to be honest, I think the alternative scenario of living a life of irrelevance is worse. I'd rather I'd rather be relevant to some people and have some people hate me for it than be irrelevant and everyone love me. Yeah, I would agree with that. How how have you have you had that, Raj? Have you have you faced those moments? Um, I mean, you said that you've been doing this podcast now for a couple years. You know, I've known you for what probably uh, probably about a year now. Yeah. How how have you dealt with some of that stuff? Have you faced that with your with your podcast and and things like that? The podcast. Not so much, um, like as far as it being a thing, uh, mm -hmm. and pe that people are like, "Why are you doing this?" Um, more so with like the music side of me, um, I can't tell you in my past the number of. I'll tell you this: when I released my first mixtape at the end of college, I held like a little like quote unquote like release party at my apartment, and. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I was like, okay, what's the best way to get this out? Provide people free beer in college, right? <laughs> um, That's good. But I mean, I had a friend like break the CD in half in my face. Said, I'm never going to listen to this. And like, that was a friend. <laughs> you know, what you mean? <laughs> yeah. That's not even and and, and there was a lot. You know, there's a lot of like build up to even like being comfortable putting music out in the first place. Because because leading up to that, I had a lot of people would be like, oh, you like you suck. Like, well, you can't do this or. The one that never made sense to me is, you're not black. Why, why, why are you rapping? Uh, you know, so there's a lot. In, and then, you know, it was really, it was like, I would say it took another couple of years to really get like comfortable saying with confidence, I am a rapper um, and not have to worry about are people going to laugh at that or not. But, but what came with that buildup of confidence was I just started to, change those circles I was running in, you know, like I started hanging around a lot of other creative people who were doing their own interesting things, whether they were entrepreneurs, whether they were other musicians, whether they were you know, artists or performers or whatever that might be. So then like the, what, what it transitioned to when I would, you know, if I would brought, brought up, I rap or I'm a rapper, instead of the, huh? Like, that's stupid. I'd get, where can I find your music? Wait, that's really interesting. Like, what do you rap about? You know? And that becomes like that becomes fulfilling at that point, um, but it yeah, Jared, it took a long, long time to get to that point, and a lot of a lot of I mean, like my my 
album I put out two years ago was called Road to Redemption, and it was in, it was pretty much entirely about having to redeem myself in the face of criticism. Wow. I did, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. I could definitely I can definitely see how that would be how that would be something that uh, you would face a lot of criticism. I I like how I mean I'm just talking here. I like how you incorporate the raps and uh, you know like the entrepreneur side of you too. Like I mean I heard you rap at like Bunker Labs and it was it was like one of the coolest things I had seen <laughs> out of somebody speaking about like real things that are going on. You're like, you're talking to us about building our businesses and people are there dedicating so much time. And you just like, you just like threw in this, this rap for, I think it was, it was at least like a minute and a half or something. Yeah, and we, we were all just like, what the hell was that? Like, <laughs> and now, now I like expect it from you. Like now I'm like, yeah, that's, that's cool. I, Cause you incorporate it now. I, or I don't know if you did before, but it shows in your personality is what I'm getting at. And it's really cool because it, you're definitely a unique individual with that. And it's a, it's a break up in the monotony type thing. Um, yeah business and it. it was awesome I, I remember everybody thought it was hilarious and, <laughs> um, Good. i think, think even justin was like yeah we're gonna get raj to rap again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was funny because we were talking the other day and he was like maybe you should MC this uh, the other <coughs> pitch night but you'd have to rap if you did that and that's yeah. what's funny now right and like to kind of like put a cherry on that is now people are asking me to do things they're like but can you rap as part of it <laughs> you know yeah and then that's stuff that i feel good about but i had to kind of bring it home i had to build up that resilience profile yeah definitely i you don't bump into too many people that are just like yeah i'm a rapper <laughs> uh, at least i at least i don't i don't know maybe i don't travel in that circle but um <laughs> yeah it's awesome all right let's transition here for a minute um and and kind of learn more about quick picks as a company as a as a service <coughs> jerk at face value at surface level it's a photography company um you know, where people can get photographers. Tell our listeners though, why it's so much more than that. Yeah. Quick picks is, um, quick picks is much more than, than just a photography company because, um, because I think the individuals involved with it. Um, and when I say that, I mean, because we created quick picks, my wife and I built quick picks and, and, and founded it not because we're, we seen, you know, like, Oh my God, we want to start like an Uber company or anything like that. We started it because it was an important thing to my wife. She wanted to open a photography studio and me having never give up on entrepreneurism. Um, we, we looked at real problems that existed within the industry and problems we felt really deeply about just because we were customers to the industry because we have four children. We're always, you know, uh, taking photos and um, it became something that was a lot more than just building, you know, a, a, an app or anything. It became a part of us. And um that's that's really what it is to everybody else now too, because we see people that are happy using the platform. We see people that you know um, are excited to get their photos back and not be upsold or just little things that mean something to other people. That's what means the most to us. We actually are solving a problem um, that exists, and photographers now are going through a, a tremendous phase in which they're 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 failing at a much much higher rate than they ever have. Eighty five percent of them fail within the first three years. Um, the, the average median wage for a photographer is only $13 an hour. I mean, if we can change that, that's a powerful thing. And that's, that's our goal. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about, I mean, how you're bringing that change and more, more so what I mean by that is how, how does the product work? I know it, Victoria knows how it works, but for our listeners who may not have heard of quick fix, how, do, how does it work and, and, and what is it? 
So QuickPix is an on-demand photography service that allows customers to book a high-quality professional photographer in as little as 60 seconds and for only a fixed price of $99 per hour. We deliver all the photos back to our customer through our mobile app and web-based app within 24 hours after the completion of their shoot, and they then have the choice to choose which photos they want edited. So if we deliver 150 photos, or in Raj, your case, 500 photos from an hour <laughs> photo shoot, um, the customer then has a choice to say, okay, I really love these photos. These are the ones I want to put on my wall. And then they can have them professionally edited through our service as well for only $1.50 per photo, and we return those back to you within 12 hours. So we, we looked at the industry as a whole and we realized the pain points for photographers and customers and we streamlined them. And we're really good at it because I have a lot of knowledge and, and lean and that type of processing and how to look at you know things from an outside perspective. And that's how we were really able to do it. And um, some of the other people that are trying to figure out the space haven't quite gotten to, to that point and they're still trying to build mobile apps. Whereas QuickPix isn't just a mobile app or a web-based app, it's, um, it's actually a new industry. It's a new way for photographers to conduct business in an easier manner and be able to stay in business. QuickPix can help them get back to work and fill those gaps in their unbooked time and um, you know, stay profitable and give them that ease of access for customers and multiple experiences. Photographers are always looking for new experiences and they can use our platform to, um, to showcase their, their work and get different experiences. And on the customer side, um, I would love for you to share kind of that example that you and I have talked about before where, you know, like someone might be thinking right now, like, Oh, I don't really do a whole lot of things that need to be photographed. But I, I you know, when we, when you and I have talked, I mean, you have a much different view on that, which, which I agree with. Yeah. So the traditional sense is that, you know, most people think, you know, I'm going to hire a photographer to do my family photos once a year. And it's, you know, why limit yourself? Why limit yourself to capturing moments that are incredibly important to you just because the traditional thinking and, um, what we've seen is customers are able to use quick picks, um, in multiple, you know, in different ways. Um, we had, we had a, a gentleman that booked quick picks and then gifted the shoots to his, his kids. He knew that he didn't want to hire a photographer. He's, you know, he's an, you know, an older guy and just loves to ride his Harley. He's not hiring a photographer for a whole lot, but he realized like, Oh wait, you know, I want beautiful photos of my grandkids they just got, you know, they they just got done having kids. They they can't afford to buy a, you know, buy a photographer or hire a professional. So he booked us and then gifted the shoots to his kids. So he made sure that he had those moments that were important to him in his life and theirs by utilizing our platform. And we haven't seen that before. And there's there's a lot of other utility to it as well. We've had people talk about, you know, how you can you know book for um you know book for bachelor parties and you know things like that. And we're nor you normally would not hire a photographer for a bachelor party. Uh, so we're starting to see a lot of different utility for the app. And, um, and it's a great thing. It's awesome. It's awesome to see people utilizing the platform in a way that they would have never have expected simply because of, you know, conventional thinking, I'm just going to hire a photographer to do my family photos once a year, or my, my headshot, and that's it. We're seeing people have fun with it and, and get creative and how they could use uh, quick picks to capture most moments that are important to them. Yeah. And that's really, I think one of the key things here is 
really starting to see like, you know, like if you could put a frame around more things in your life, I think you would like, you know, a metaphorical frame around more things in your life. I think you would. And I think we do. I think that's the culture and society we live in now. We post pictures of everything we eat and everything yeah. we do. And people want nice looking photos. So I totally see where the opportunity would be that like on a day out with your friends, suddenly you'd be like, hey, we should get it. Yeah. I mean, I like I could see it. People share their whole lives through photos on Instagram, on, on so many different platforms that I could definitely see that becoming a thing. And I, and Jared, can you, so uh, I really liked when you when you told me how uh, you were talking to a person about how um, you know like let's say you want to take photos of like your kids or you know like your your baby or whatever like that and the person's response was like oh my wife takes takes photos you know of my child all the time uh, you know, like what's the problem with that and I, and your response was if you know where I'm going with this um, yeah yeah can you kind of can you share that. Yeah, of course. So I ran into a situation where I was talking to somebody and um, they had kind of like held up their phone a little bit and they, you know, they had said, you know, I think this is going to be a real big competitor to you. And I, and I asked the question why. And they had said, well, you know, uh, my wife uses Instagram stories all the time. And I guess now they make little books and they'll, they'll send them to you uh, digitally or you can, I guess, have them printed um, from what I had heard. But anyway, he said, you know, we're, we've, we have a nine-month-old son or a daughter, I can't remember. And he said, you know, we, we get all these neat little books back from, you know, Instagram and it's awesome and we love it and this is what we use. And he held up this iPhone like seven, which they have remarkable quality. Um, but I immediately looked at him and I was like, you know, I heard exactly what you had to say and I'm glad, you know, that I'm glad that you guys have those memories. I'm like, but what I really heard you say was that you have a nine-month-old kid and you and your wife don't have any professional photos of you with your baby. Mm-hmm. And he just l- looked at me and he was like, yeah, he's like, oh, wow, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yes, technology today, you know, has made us utilize, you know, we utilize technology in different ways. And sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing. Um, I mean, I didn't realize, but before we our last photos that me and my wife had done with our four children was through QuickPix. I hired a QuickPix photographer to do our family photos <laughs> um, because I was busy and it's easy and it's convenient. Not just because it's our app, but it, that's just it was that easy. Before that, we hadn't had family photos in three years. I think it was like three or four years, if I'm not mistaken. My wife has tons of photos with me with my kids, um, or she has the selfie with her and my my boys. And that was it. I was like, wow, technology has really made us stray away from certain things. And we hope to bring that back to people and, and, you know, help them understand, you know, you don't have to let that happen. We're here to make sure it's as easy and convenient and affordable for you as possible. And, uh, to let you capture them moments, you know, um, Raj, you, you had a great tagline the other day. I sent you my pitch deck, um, for our, for our investor meetings and you had a great tagline in there where you had said, you know, change, you told us to change like our headline around. And I read the tagline. And I turned around. And I looked at my partner, our CMO, and I, I believe your, I believe the tagline was. Um, it said, "You know, live in your moment and let us capture it." Something like um, that. Yeah, I don't recall yeah. exactly what I said, but I, but, but, if, but if I said it, it was good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something like that. And I turned around. I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "That's actually really good." I'm like, "That's not not meaning it's not good," but I. It was like, "Wow, yeah," because that is what we want people to do. We want people to live in the moments that they're experiencing life 
And if it's that important of a moment to you, let us capture it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about holding up your cell phone and missing your kid's birthday party. Instead of having the one photo of you know, um, your husband or your wife standing next to your child because you're taking the photo while they blow out the candles, hire us. Let us be there for that. Let both of you guys be standing next to your, your son or your daughter on that important day in their lives and that important day in yours. Let us be there for you. And um, it's a powerful thing. And, and I hope we can help more people and I hope we can service more people and bring photographers more jobs. Yeah, I agree. And I, I personally, you know, to, to wrap it up, I, I personally, you know, if, if everything goes well, I see a future where people are like, it, it becomes like a, in like a mental checklist of things that need to get done, it becomes like, all right, are we going to need a photographer for this? Yes or no? Like, like, hey, we're four buddies. We're golfing today. Should we get a photographer for the first few holes? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. That kind of thing is where, is where I personally see what you guys are doing with Quick Picks, you know, how, how embedded it can become into people's lives. Exactly. Um, we're, we're hoping for the same and we're, we're working towards that every day as hard as we can. So where can our listeners find Quick Picks um, uh, online and, and, and or get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, uh, listeners can find um, Quick Picks. You can download it on either um, the Android or iOS platforms. It's uh, spelled Q-I-K-P-I-X. Or if um, you're using your laptop, it's uh, QuickPicks, Q-I-K-P-I-X dot I-O. Perfect. And um, it... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say they can always reach me at um, my email address or through our help desk solution on the platform. And my email address is uh, Jarek Hamilton, uh, J-A-R-E-K Hamilton at quickpicks.io. Awesome. All right. So then to wrap up, we will go one by one, giving our respective answers to today's question based on the conversation. Today's question was, how do you silence your critics? Victoria, how do you silence your critics? Yeah. So based on what we talked about and thinking about a little bit more. I don't know if, if I really think so much you can or should silence your critics, but I think that maybe you can start to control how much of it you internalize and like more, more what you do with it. Uh, I think no matter how big you ever become, you're always going to have some critics and hopefully you could prove some people wrong. Um, but I think it's more about how you like potentially silence it in your own head and don't internalize it too much. My answer for how do you silence your critics, um, what I think about more and more as we were talking is something that I've always taught with my personal branding presentations, where we have a little section, uh, I have a little section in that where I cover the idea of like impact um, and what impact are you trying to make. And I put this equation out where I say your impact is your action plus their reaction. You only have control over the first half of that equation. So your actions, no matter what you do, you cannot control how other people will react. But if you focus on your own actions, you can positively influence others' reactions. So I think if you focus on what you're doing, that's how you'll ultimately silence your critics. Jarek, how do you silence your critics? Um, you know, I I think that um, I think that both of you guys like have that have that down. Um, you know, Victoria, you had said, you know, figuring out how to not internalize it so much. And um, from our conversation, I think that's what I've pulled away. And then, um, yeah, I, I think that if you you learn how to actually listen to people and not try and pose that argument all the time um, and not internalize that frustration so much, it, 
I think that's, I don't think you can ever get rid of them. I would have to agree. I don't think you can ever get rid of the critics. I think that you can just learn what you can control, Raj, to your point. Um, you can only control one half of that equation. Jarek Hamilton of Quick Picks, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, guys. It was, uh, it was definitely the best hour of my day, so I appreciate that. <laughs> right on, right on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. We will catch up soon. Thank you very much. Raj, Victoria, you guys have a great day. That wrapped up our conversation with Jarek Hamilton. Jarek, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully in the course of that episode, one more Quick Picks critic has been silenced. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or whatever other platform you listen to, whether it is SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or the various other podcasting platforms this show is available on. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Jarek's contact information, Grab the full show notes at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. While you're there, go ahead and page through and have a listen to our 80-plus episode archives. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Jarek Hamilton for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Coming. We're tired of running. We're rising up. It's been a long time coming.